Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. In this week's episode, we join the Doctor and Leela as they land on Pluto and are caught in an uprising between the citizens and the Sunmakers. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so as always, you can join the discussion by checking us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E. T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or, as always, you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now, though, Paddington, I will hand over to you for the story recap. Please and thank you. Thank you very much. Part 1. On Pluto, a labourer named Cordo waits anxiously in the corridor of an administrative building. A secretary appears and pleasantly informs him that his father has passed away. Cordo seems relieved and makes his way to the gatherer's office to pay the debt taxes. In the office, he is met by Hade, the gatherer of the company that administers to the planet, who seemingly lives in a lap of luxury, as his office contains an actual wooden table. Cordo is then horrified to see that the tax rate for the debt service he requested for his father has been raised significantly, and he says he can't pay for it. Hade takes pity on Cordo and says he will arrange to speak to Cordo's supervisor so that he can gain extra work to cover the outstanding cost. Cordo says that he has already been working double shifts for years to accumulate the credits that he has now. Hayes says that he will just need to work without sleep and advises him to take stim capsules. Cordo says that they have a too high a tax rate on them, but Hayes dismisses him from his office. Meanwhile, in the TARDIS, the Doctor is playing Leela, who is being assisted by K9 in a game of chess. The Doctor boasts that K9 can't even ha- handle the concept of one-dimensional chess, but is shot when K9 places him in check and advises that it will be mate in six moves. The Doctor rushes back to the game as Leela tries to tell him that the console column has stopped moving. After some argument as to whether or not he was listening, the Doctor takes a reading of their location and says that they are near Pluto. K9 begins to rattle off facts about Pluto for Leela's benefit, but the Doctor frustratedly tells him to stop, as the readings he is getting from the surface make no sense. He tells Leela that there should be no life on Pluto and suggests they go take a look, ordering K9 to stay in the TARDIS. They find that they have landed on top of a building and take a look at their surroundings. As the Doctor marvels at the architecture and layout of the city, Leela spots Cordo walking along the rooftop and goes to stop him when she sees that he's about to throw himself off the edge. The doctor tells Leela not to touch him and they go over to him, but the doctor making casual conversation. Cordo says the taxes are too much, but the doctor distracts him with a jelly baby, allowing Leela to bring him back from the ledge. The doctor then asks for more information. In his office, Hade is advised of an illegal landing on the planet. Cordo finishes explaining the tax system on Pluto and Leela asks why the people don't rebel against the company. The Doctor explains that their free will has been sapped by decades of taxation. They then hear sirens approaching and Cordo tells them to run as it is Hade's personal security vehicle. They hide in a nearby duct and Leela observes Hade and his secretary Marn inspect the TARDIS. Cordo says they need to flee as if they are caught they will be sent to a correction facility and he takes them to a cargo elevator. Up on the roof, Marn is amazed that someone would willingly flout so many regulations and land a vehicle on the roof of the building. Hade says it reminds him of Kandor, a high-ranking bureaucrat who embezzled millions from the company and managed to survive for three years in a correction facility before dying. Hade says that they need to stop this new tax evasion conspiracy, and he has already a plan on how to deal with it. Meanwhile, Cordo says that he intends to go to the Undercity, a supposed haven for tax evaders and other criminals that the company once found. As he isn't sure that they actually exist, the Doctor and Leela say they will go with him, as they also want more answers about what's going on. As they make their way down the tunnels, Cordo reveals that the people of Pluto have no concept of what darkness is, as all the buildings are perpetually lit and there are six suns orbiting the planet, a fact that stuns the Doctor. 
As they go further into the tunnels, they are suddenly surrounded by a group of dirty and ragged clothed individuals wielding clubs. The doctor tells Leah to put her knife away and greets the new arrivals. They are led to the Undercity, where they are shown to Mandrel, the leader of the group, by Gaudry, the one who captured them. And he says that they claim to be from another planet, and Mandrel says that there is no life on other planets. He then knocks the doctor to the ground when he makes a smart comment about Mandrel's knowledge of extraterrestrial life. Up on the roof, K-9 emerges from the TARDIS and looks around for the Doctor and Leela, unaware that he's being spied on by Haid from his office via security cameras. K-9 finds the cargo lift and makes his way down it. In the Undercity, the Doctor comforts a distressed corridor over the lack of light, but he is taken aback by Gaudry and questioned by Mandrel as to what happened to him. Mandrel says that the company always lies about the price of things, always asking for more than when the payment is due. Corridor promises to work in order to pay his way in the Undercity, but Mandrel frustratedly tells him that nobody works in the Undercity and that they instead steal whatever they need from the upper levels. One of the women starts to examine Leela's outfit, leading Leela to threaten to kill her. Mandrel says that he could use their skills, and the doctor agrees to help under some gentle persuasion from Mandrel's guards. They give him a forged credit card and tell him that since he looks like an Ajax, a member of the mining caste, he should be able to withdraw the funds on it with no problems. Mandrel warns him that he's if he is not back within a few hours, they will kill Leela. The Doctor leaves, taking Cordo with him. Once they get back to the upper level, they are met by K-9, and the Doctor scolds him for disobeying him. They are unaware that they are being observed by Hayd and Marn, who recognises Cordo. Hayd orders the cameras to follow the Doctor, but Marn says that the frequency is locked onto K-9. She says, though, that they know the area of the tunnel that they are in, and says that they can intercept them. Hayd says to hold off as he believes the Doctor is to also be an Ajax, and he thinks that he is smuggling arms as part of a rebellion against the company. Hayd says he will go to the company palace and inform the Collector as to what is happening. At the credit station, the Doctor uses the forged card, but the kiosk he is in suddenly seals and starts to fill up with gas. Part 2 Cordo flees the scene, briefly taking cover as a group of guards carrying a gurney go past. The guards take the unconscious Doctor from the boot and take him away. A short while later, he wakes up in a correction facility, wearing a straitjacket. Another prisoner, Bisham, on a nearby bed, says that it is pointless to struggle as he will be soon subjected to mental torture devices. Doctor starts to look around the room, messing with some of the dials with his mouth, and asks Bisham why he was arrested. He says that he was in charge of a chemical plant that produced a stimulant called PCM, but he took some other stims that were labelled for executive use only, which gave him a euphoric sensation. The doctor asks what PCM stands for, and when Bisham tells him the chemical formula, the doctor says that it is actually an emotional suppressant, designed to keep people docile. Back in the Undercity, Mandrel taunts Leela over her impending debt, but she vows to take as many of them with her as possible. Mandrel orders his men to grab her, but she fends them off, promising to kill the next one that lays a hand on her. Mandrel goes to kill her himself, but Gaudry and Veet, the woman who earlier wanted Leela's clothes, ask him to give the doctor more time. Mandrel ignores them and starts to fight with Leela, but they are interrupted by the arrival of Cordo, who tells them what happened to the Doctor. Leela asks where he was taken, but Gaudry and Veet say that there is no point in trying to rescue him, as no one survives for long in the correction facilities. At the company palace, Haid enters the office of the Collector, who is a weasley high-pitched man in a hover chair, who demands Haid hurry up to the point of the meeting, as he is fervently occupied with adjusting the tax rates. Haid tells him about his suspicions of an armed uprising supported by the Ajax. He appeals to the Collector's financial motivations by saying that any civil unrest could damage profits and that they can increase the protection tax to recoup the cost of the additional security manpower. The Collector agrees and then dismisses Haid so he can get back to his calculations. In the Undercity, Leela berates Mandrel and the others for refusing to help her try and rescue the Doctor. 
Mandrill says the correction facility is under the collector's palace and therefore heavily guarded. She calls Mandrill a coward and asks for just six people to come with her. None of the others volunteer and she says that she will go alone. Corus says that he will go with her and Leela commences bravery. They make their way back up to the tunnels and find K9 waiting for them. Leela tells him to follow them as they might need his help to rescue the doctor. As they make their way down the tunnels, Leela says that she suddenly feels fear for some reason, but K9 says that it is because of the PCM in the air, which he had earlier analysed. In the correction facility, Bishop explains that the PCM is pumped throughout the planet through the air filtration system. Before he can say any more, a guard arrives and straps a helmet to each of them, and Bishop says that he was happy to know the doctor. Doctor warns the guard not to touch the controls, but the guard ignores him. He then gets shocked as the control panel explodes. A short while later, a group of technicians arrive to repair the machine, and the doctor tries to engage them in casual conversation. Suddenly, Marin arrives, telling the doctor that Hade has ordered him to be released, as he secretly hopes to observe him and find out more information about any of the conspirators of the suspected uprising. The doctor tries to get Bisham released as well, but Marin refuses, but before they leave, the doctor leaves him a bag of jelly babies. The doctor is brought to Hade's office and is welcomed graciously by Hade, who apologises for any inconvenience caused by his arrest. Hade offers him refreshments and talks about his hobby of studying humanity's antiquity, especially the legends of old art. Hade then allows him to explore the city, and after the doctor leaves, Marin informs Hade that they have attuned a security tracker to him. Meanwhile, back at the correction facility, Leela orders K-9 to stun the guard and they make their way inside. Leela takes the guard's gun and they follow K-9 as he follows the doctor's trail. They enter the torture room just as the technician is about to activate the machine and Leela shoots him. Bisham thanks them for saving him and Leela asks where the doctor is. Bisham tells him about his release and Leela says that he had better come with them whilst they escape from the facility. In the tunnels, the doctor makes his way back to the undercity. Marin informs Hay that the security trackers won't be able to observe him but Hade says that it is fine as the guards given to him by the Collector will be able to deal with any rebellion. He tells Marin that they will only strike against the rebels once he is sure he has identified all the conspirators. The Doctor joins Mandrill and the others, giving them the money Hade had given him as an apology. The Doctor asks where Leela is, and Gaudry says that she went to rescue him from the correction facility. The Doctor threatens Mandrill that he will hold him responsible if any harm comes to Leela, but Mandrill turns the tables on him, calling him a spy for Hade due to the money that he was given. Back at the correction facility, Leela and the others discover that the guard has gone, having woken up a short while beforehand and raised the alarm. Cordo tells them to follow him as he may know a way out, but they find it blocked off by a barricade, manned by armed guards. Cordo takes them down a different way, but they are trapped by an approaching armoured car. Part 3. Two guards emerge from the car and order Leela to drop her gun. She slowly does so, but as they begin to approach, she orders K-9, who has been in cover, to stun them. The guards fall to the floor and Leela tells Cordo and Bisham to put K-9 on the back of the car as she intends to use it to break through the barricade. They crash through it and Leela and Cordo exchange fire with the guards as they drive past. Leela is wounded in the head and falls off the car, but Bisham says that they can't stop to help her and drives on. In the Undercity, a mandrel demands to know why Hade gave the doctor the money and he has his men beat him when he gives a flippant response. He tells Gaudry to prepare a hot iron to torture the doctor, who insists that he has no idea why he was released by Hade. Mandrill doesn't believe him and prepares to use the iron, but the doctor says that he doesn't have the guts to carry it out. They struggle for the iron, but Bisham and Cordo arrive and tell Mandrill to drop it. The doctor thanks them for their help, but asks where Leela is, and they tell him what happened at the barricade. The doctor says that it's time for Mandrill and the rest to rise up to overthrow the collector and the company, but Gaudry says that they are outgunned. 
Doctors suggest stopping the PCM supply to the air filters, and Bishop says that he will need explosives to destroy the pumps. Doctor says that they could lower the temperature as the PCM only reacts at high temperatures, but Bishop says that the pumps are all of the city. Mandrill then says that all the pumps are controlled by it from a main hub and that they could change the temperature there. Gouger again shows reluctance, but Mandrill says that they have nothing to lose by trying. Doctor tells him that before they do anything, they must first disable the security tracker observing him. He tells Cora to go back up to the tunnel and remove some of the optical cabling and bring it back to him. At that moment, Leela is in the correction centre being examined by the collector's guards. The collector, who is curious that she has no identity to the markers, orders her to be resuscitated as soon as possible and brought in for questioning. A short while later, she is brought to his office in a straitjacket, demanding to be let go. The collector demands to know who she is and she reluctantly gives her origins. He demands to know how she arrived on Pluto and she tells him about the doctor and her attempt to rescue him from the correction facility. The collector has her sent back, saying that he will issue an order for her execution later that day. After she goes, the collector asks the computer to give him any information on the Time Lords. In the Undercity, Cordo and the others rejoice at the idea of finally being able to overthrow the company, leading the doctor to ask what the company actually is. None of them are able to give a definitive answer as to what it is or how it started. He finishes his work on the optical cabling and tells Mandrill, Bisham and Cordo to come with him and K-9 whilst the others go throughout the city and inform the populace about the impending uprising. Back in the Collector's office, a summoned Hade explains why he released the Doctor, informing the Collector about his suspicions of an uprising. The Collector tells him that there is no rebellion, the Doctor is an alien. He orders Hade to issue a reward for the Doctor's capture, dead or alive, and that he is to issue it from his own account, a fact that appalls Hade. The Collector also tells him to broadcast an announcement detailing plans for Leela's execution. He tells Hade to prepare extra guards, as the computer records indicate the Doctor will try to save her. Meanwhile, in the corridors, the Doctor replaces the optical cabling and walks back and forth in front of it, creating a static loop to fool the security scanners. They make their way to the control hub and arrive just as the technicians watch a broadcast about the reward for the Doctor. Mandrill attends the pumps whilst Cordo and Bisham attempt to get the technicians to join in the uprising. They also see the broadcast for Leela's execution, saying that she will be steamed to death. Bisham explains that she will be placed into one of the condensation chambers for the pumps, and the Doctor asks Mandrill what would happen if they shot it off long enough for him to get her out. Mandrill says that they couldn't do it without venting the pressure first and that the safety system can only be overridden by turning a valve within the highly pressurised vent which would crush the doctor. K9 says that he could try going through the vent and blowing open the valve. The doctor starts to wish him good luck but Cordo interrupts saying that the execution is beginning. At the viewing chamber, the collector, Hayde and Marn arrive to watch the execution. The collector asks if the doctor has been found yet but Hayde informs him of the fault in the security scanner which he discovered when he tried to apprehend the Doctor himself in order to keep the reward. In the control hub, K-9 returns from having blown open the valve and the Doctor makes his way to the vent. Mandrill says that he will only have two minutes to rescue Leela before the pumps go critical and explode. He and the others then anxiously watch as the pressure climbs with each passing second. Part 4 In the viewing chamber, the collector gives out about the noise, saying that he wants to be able to hear Leela's screams unimpeded. Hade goes to see what is causing the increased vibrational distortion. Meanwhile, the Doctor manages to rescue Leela, but Mandrill tells him that he needs to leave immediately as the pressure build-up has reached critical mass. The Doctor takes Leela and brings her back through the vent, just as Mandrill turns back on the pumps. They make their way to the control hub, where the Doctor gives out to Mandrill for calling him, saying that the Collector had rigged Leela's casket with a microphone and that they probably are guards en route as they speak. Bisham says that the PCM is slowly being filtered out of the air supply, and Mandrill tells him that his followers are already out causing dissension amongst the population. 
The doctor then suggests that if they can access the public broadcast system in the collector's office, then they may be able to convince more people to join them. Bisham says that the palace is heavily guarded, but the doctor points out that most of the collector's guards are with him in the viewing chamber. Lila then says that some guards are coming and they hide as they arrive. Cordo successfully manages to ambush the guards, disarming them, and the doctor tells Lila and Mandrel to tie them up. He then leaves K9 to defend the control hub whilst he and Lila make their way to the palace. In the viewing chamber, the collector grows increasingly frustrated over the failure of the execution as the reports coming in of this unrest in the city. He says it will affect the company's profits and orders his personal guards to go out and deal with it. He then also tasks Hade with personally overseeing the recapture of the control hub. Meanwhile, the absence of the PCM along with Gaudry and Veet's rabble-rousing causes the workers to rise up and overpower the guards in many areas throughout the city. At the collector's office, the doctor prevents Leela from killing a guard and he hypnotizes him to fall asleep. However, he accidentally causes Leela to fall asleep as well and carefully wakes her up. Leela then points to him to the collector's desk and he examines it to figure out how to make a planet-wide broadcast. Leela examines the office and finds a large wall safe and shows it to the doctor. He tries to open it by listening to it as he tries to find the right combination before reverting to using his sonic screwdriver. They both try and get in at the same time, but the doorway is too narrow. Leela dashes forward as the doctor calls out to be careful, and she is enveloped in a green energy field that dissipates, causing her to fall to the floor unconscious. Meanwhile, the collector blades Hades' governance for the uprising and tells him that his future with the company is finished. Marna arrives and tells Hades about workers going up onto the roofs, and he says that he will go deal with it himself. After they go, the collector says that he will return to his office and orders his remaining personal guards to form a human shield around him. The doctor's message then broadcasts throughout the cities, informing the citizens to arrest the collector and any other administration officials. The message also orders all guards to lay down their arms and cooperate peacefully. Marin is caught in the corridors by a group of workers and surrenders herself. In the control hub, Bishop and the others watch the broadcast and Corno says that they've won. Bishop says not yet, as the message was only meant to be a bit of propaganda, but Mantra says that it should go out and help and with the uprising. Bishop agrees and they leave K9 behind to guard the technicians manning the pumps. Up on the roof, Hade tries to force the workers back inside, but under Veet's instructions, they pick him up and throw him off the roof. Back in the palace, the collector returns to his office and is confronted by the doctor, who demands to know about the company. The collector says the headquarters of the company is on the planet Usurius, and the Doctor, knowing the Usurians to be a commercially driven race, asks how they managed to enslave humanity. The Collector says that they arrived at the Sol system during Earth's dying days and moved the remaining populace to Mars after the company had terraformed it to be suitable for humanity and used them as slave labour. Once the planet resources were used up, they repeated the process on Pluto. However, due to the difficulty involved in pacifying humanity, he says that the companies decide to leave humanity to die after Pluto's resources are used up. The doctor condemns his blood-sucking bureaucracy, but in his tirade, he accidentally wakes up the guard, who then apprehends him. The collector then opens a drawer with a switch in it, which he says will release a deadly toxin that will kill everyone on the planet in minutes, except for him, as his species does not breathe air. The doctor mentions that the guard will also die, which causes him momentary concern before the collector has ordered him to kill the doctor. However, Leela suddenly appears and throws a knife at the guard, wounding him in the arm. She then slams the drawer shut on the collector's hand, which starts to glow green. Suddenly, Cordo and Mandrel appear to arrest the collector, but the doctor says that it doesn't matter anymore, as the collector, ranting with the loss of profit indicated by the computer, reverts back to his natural form of a small lump of seaweed-like fungi. The collector hides in a panel in his hover chair, which Cordo then seals up. Later, the doctor, Leela and K9 say their goodbyes to everyone, wishing them all the best in their endeavours to recolonise Earth.
He enters the TARDIS and Leela asks why the Collector reverted to his original form. Doctor says that he tinkered with the computer and altered the data that the Collector read. Canine then reminds him that they must still finish their game of chess, but the Doctor surreptitiously causes the TARDIS to lurch, upsetting the board. He then promises that once he has fixed the TARDIS, they can begin the game again. End of the story. So everyone, now that we have successfully risen up and smashed bureaucracy, <laughs> we're going to relax at our favourite place in the world, the trivia spot. So what have you got for us this week? Is it a smash against bureaucracy or against capitalism or both? Possibly both. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk trivia. So the air date for the Sunmakers is the 26th of November to the 17th of December 1977. The writer for the story is Robert Holmes. It's a story 12 of 18 for Bob. His previous stories were <gasps> The Crotons, The Space Pirates, Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, Carnival of Monsters, The Time Warrior, The Ark in Space, Pyramids of Mars, The Brain of Morbius, The Deadly Assassin, and The Talons of Wen Chiang. We have discussed before, but it was usually against BBC policy to allow the script editor to write for their own show. Right. Similar to how the producer wasn't really allowed to direct, mm-hmm. which we saw that Barry Letts kind of had an agreement with the BBC where he was allowed to direct one per season. Um, similarly, Bob Holmes received special permission to do a limited number of serials per year. So this is the fifth story that Bob did during his tenure as script editor. So that would be one, two, three, four. Yeah, so it would start with Pyramids. Then Brain, Deadly Assassin, Times Wang Chang, and now this one. Um, but this is actually the last one he wrote as script editor, because at this point he's stepping away. He's not going to be staying on as script editor. He does have more stories to go, though, which are The Ribus Operation, The Power of Crawl, The Caves of Androsony, The Two Doctors, The Mysterious Planet, and The Ultimate Foe. So we still have way more to see from Bob. Mm-hmm. The director of the story is Pennant Roberts. This is story two of six for Pennant. His previous story was The Face of Evil. His future stories are The Pirate Planet, Shada, Warriors of the Deep, and Time Lash. This story, shocking as it may sound, comes from Bob's experiences <laughs> with UK tax authorities <laughs> and contains a lot of references to the British tax system probably surprises absolutely fucking nobody mm-hmm. who watches this story. You know, we talk about like some Doctor Who stories that sort of beat you over the head or what they're based on. This is one of them. The name of the collector's home planet, uh Usurius, I think. That's how you Yeah, Usurius, yeah. Um, is a pun on the term usury, which describes unusually high or unfair interest rates. So Bob going deep there mm. <laughs> in embedding his <laughs> sheer displeasure with the UK tax authority. Um, interestingly, the collector was originally conceived as a large corpulent figure, which is why Hayde refers to him as, with things like your immensity, which when you see the actor who plays the collector doesn't really make sense. no. Um, if you pay attention, you'll notice that the epithets that he uses to describe the collector go from incredibly flattering, your highest, your sublimity, your eminence, to insulting <laughs> your corpulence, your grossness. <laughs> but he delivers them all exactly the same, mm. <laughs> which is interesting. Um, 
the chess game that's being played between the Doctor and K9 is an interesting one because on the DVD commentary, uh, Pennant Roberts, the director, says the positions in the match are based on the end game of a match between Bobby Fischer and Gary Kasparov. Kasparov. Which is weird because those two people never actually played each other. So (laughs) either Pennant is thinking of a different game and he just forgot who played it. Or maybe he's just trying to sound intelligent and just grab two names at random. Not quite sure. Uh, Some people may or may not recognize uh, the exchange between Mandrill and the Doctor, which is like, what have we got to lose? Only your claims. This is actually a riff on a common paraphrase of the final lines of the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, which is, what have you got to lose? Only your chains. And the official English translation is the proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. So that's kind of what they were playing on with that particular line. Not often Doctor Who quotes the Communist Manifesto, but, you know. Sorry, like, uh, that fact, it just adds further credence to uh, my overall thoughts of, like, what this story is. And we'll discuss it when we get there. (laughs) So here we have the doctor once again using his hypnosis abilities on someone and we have someone getting caught up in it. So I think the last time we saw someone accidentally get caught up in the doctor's hypnotism would have been Joe. Mm -hmm. I think it was when he was um, when he was hypnotizing Agador that Joe kind of got entranced as well. Um, So here we see the doctor hypnotizing the guard and Lily getting caught up in it. That was actually devised on set by the two actors they just thought it'd be fun if Leela kind of got caught up in the whole thing as well so the giant card thing <laughs> that the doctor was given to take out the thousand whatever the hell the currency is called Talmars. Um, yeah so that was originally designed to resemble a Barclay card mm-hmm. Barclays being a bank in the UK um, this was vetoed by Graham Williams, who's the show's producer at this point in time, who said that it would be free publicity for the bank. <laughs> it, it looks like a, like an enlarged version of like what a Lego credit card would look like. It does a bit, yeah. yeah. It's really like chunky as well. Yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, this story is the last appearance of Leela's darker outfit. So for the next two serials, she'll wear the lighter one that we saw last week. Which is also the more revealing one. Also the one I don't like as much. Yes. Um, throughout the production of this serial, Louise sort of continued to be dissatisfied with the direction of her character. And at one point in the scripting, the scene where Leela is stunned um, when entering the large safe would have actually been her death scene. Ooh. They were considered as killing her off. Um, however the production team decided against killing Leela and part of that was because to have Tom's doctor shown grieving halfway through the story would have been kind of inappropriate for the story and for Tom's version of the character Yeah. Um, so the timing didn't really work um, so they decided not to do it despite all this though I think I've said this before Louise Jameson has said on multiple occasions that the story is her favourite yeah, you have said that before, which is yeah. strange. Yeah. Um. So I imagine maybe the episode was fun to do. Maybe she liked the final product, but it was just sort of a, a reminder to her that Leela 
maybe had run her course um, at this point. Right, so on to our cast. So Cordo is played by Roy McCready. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Roy. His non-Who credits include The Grand Budapest Hotel, Alice in Wonderland, Pinocchio, Luna, and Zedcars. Bisham is played by David Rowlands. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for David. His non-Who credits include The Wars of the Roses, Are You Being Served, The Two Ronnies, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and Hello, Hello. Mandrill is played by William Simons. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for William. His non-Who credits include Crib, Ivory Hunter, Heartbeat, which is where I recognise yep, him from. I recognise him from Heartbeat as well. The Royal, Alain Mysteries, and Emmerdale Farm. William passed away back in 2019. Gowdry, who you had on the list of people for me to do trivia about and for us to talk about, and I don't really understand why, but we can talk about that a bit later. Uh, is played by Michael Keating. Surprise, surprise. Only Doctor Who acting credit from Michael. Small clarification, it's only on-screen credit from Michael because he has voiced several characters for Big Finish in their Doctor Who ranges. His non-Who credits include Doomwatch, Soldiers of Love, EastEnders, Midsummer Murders, and the one probably most people know him for is that he was also a prominent character in Blake 7. Yeah, that's kind of like the reason why I had him for this because I think he's only one of two or possibly three characters in the entire run of Blake 7 to appear in every episode mm. yeah uh, my first exposure to I haven't watched Blake 7 um, I, I think I've mentioned it before but my first exposure to Blake 7 was a top 50 TV finales of all time so like I actually got to see the very final scene from Blake 7 and I was like that looks fucking incredible haven't found the time to actually try and watch it yet but I was like <laughs> That looks amazing. I think my only like interaction with Blake Seven is, is probably this? in that <laughs> trivia game that we played before. <laughs> oh, uh, Tom Baker. The Tom Baker trivia oh, game. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should live stream what like us playing. <laughs> we, <stage. laughs> we should. We should do. We should do an episode where you and I play the Tom Baker trivia game and you kick yeah. my ass as per usual. Unless you got a wormhole, at which one you just fucking win. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> oh anyway uh on to our next character so the collector is played by henry wolf with two o's again only doctor who acting this is everyone's only doctor who acting i know i'm nearing the end but i keep repeating myself uh henry's who credits include the lion in winter step to one son the rocky horror picture show the hand of the baskervilles and then the tv version of prince caspian and the voyage of the dawn treader and then also the silver chair Henry passed away in 2021. Hade is played by Richard Leach. Only episode, as I've already mentioned. His non-who credits include A Night to Remember, Gandhi, 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 Gandhi. Gandhi. How is it? It is Gandhi. Yeah. yeah. Why did I fucking, in the back of my head, go, should I pronounce it? Oh, no, I don't <laughs> Gandhi. Uh, the Good Companions, The Nation's Help, and The Devil in the Fog. Richard passed away in 2004. Lastly, as Marne, we have Janina Scott. This is our only Doctor Who credit, as I've already mentioned. And her non-Who credits include Running Blind, The Oneidon Line, and Harriet's Back in Town. Janina passed away in 2018. I don't know what it says about this story, but like this is everyone's singular Doctor Who experience on television. <laughs> yeah, although I think, you know, as we get further and further into, like, you know, once we sort of hit the 80s and stuff like that, I think we're going to start seeing repeat actors less and less yeah like they're 
Like the only one that I can, there's only two people that uh, kind of spring to mind now as to like who's going to appear again. One is mm. Julian Glover, mm. and the other one is John Abinelli, um, Psycho General from Ambassadors of Death. No, we do also have Abinelli. Sorry, Ab- Abinelli. Sorry, my apologies. Oh, uh, uh, Jean Marsh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we we will also have Jean Marsh coming back. Yeah. And of course. Colin has an interesting. Yes, he story. does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think as we go forward, I think we're going to see less and less repetition mm-hmm. of actors. Um, I think certainly once we enter the new Who era, with a handful of exceptions, I think we're going to be seeing yeah like, little to no repetition really in the like two parter to one parter stories. I think yeah, it's. It, it's definitely a thing where it's like, yeah, just less repetition as compared yeah. to ages before, you know? Mm. But yeah, thus endeth the trivia. So, thank you very much for all that wonderful trivia. We're you now going to welcome. do our wonderful character discussion. <laughs> uh, so, uh, as always, we will be discussing the Doctor the companions any prominent characters and the villains so this week we have the doctor companions of leela and k9 mm. i put on prominent characters of cordo mandrill and bisham mm. and the, i would put cordo kind of on the, the edge on the of, yeah. of story companion because yeah. he's there from the beginning to the end so yeah no i i yeah i can put him into the companion side of things and the villains of uh hade should be marn and the collector yeah i would so, agree on this so over to you. Thoughts on the Doctor. Doctor, cheating will get you nowhere. Just accept the fact K9 was going to beat you and move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but seriously. Um, overall, I liked the Doctor in the story. There was nothing really negative about him. Um, other than his I am the smartest attitude that he has with K9 and mm. Leela. Um, which is just kind of the way he is with those characters. So I wouldn't really mark it as a negative for this story it's just mm-hmm. the doctor's characterization um there is some lovely bits that i really enjoyed i really liked how he played the gatherer um so Hade. um even though he had, he has no clue how things work in the society yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely none he has no idea like who Hade really is or how things work at that level he has no idea what um or what is it he's pretending to be an ajax um, yeah, he's no idea what the fucking Ajax is or how an Ajax is meant to behave. <laughs> and I love that he just plays along with it, um, which I thought was done really, really well. Hmm. And I also love his hypnotism of the guard. Hmm. Um, again, it kind of reminded me a lot of some of his stories with Sarah Jane. It reminded me a lot of Doc John, who obviously, you know, did the hypnotism with Agador and stuff like that. Though, Doctor, you should really watch your words you know, when you're going on a rant and you mm. have a trigger word for someone who could potentially kill you. Yeah. Um, it takes actually adds trigger word, gives it a whole new meaning, uh, when you think about it that way. Um other than that though, like I said, I think it's a good enough story for him. Nothing really outstanding. Those were two fun scenes mm. to watch. Um other than that there was nothing particularly outstanding for me. How about you? 
Uh, so yeah, no, I completely agree. Like you're some cheating bollocks. <laughs> like no matter what else you did in this story, that's your defining trait for this this whole thing. <laughs> oh, it's like oh, yeah, no, just like, also, you, know, you said in your summary that he was playing Leela at chess with K nine. No, he was playing K nine at chess, and Leela was helping K nine by moving the pieces. Ah, right. See. Okay. You got that arse backwards. <laughs> I got that arse backwards. Fair enough. But look, look, hey, look, hey, stop trying to like blindside me here. He's still a cheating bollocks, okay? Doesn't matter who <laughs> he's taking on. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you in the sense of like, it's not a bad story for him. There, there's nothing really standout-ish. Um, I did like the concern that he shows for Leela throughout. Like, you know, when he comes back and he's like, Mandrill, if anything has happened to that girl. Um it's always funny. He never she like he only ever seems to show this concern for her when she's not around. Uh, <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, it's like shut up, don't let her know that I like her. <laughs> um, but the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, right, is that I'm trying to remember when was the last time the Doctor fermented an uprising. Hmm. Not a companion, mind you. Not a Doctor and a companion. But the doctor mm. themselves. I'm struggling to think of when the last time was, which means it was a while ago. Yeah, because every other uprising that I can think of that the doctor or insurrection the doctor sort of supported or pushed, that was always meant, that was always like something that was going to happen anyway. And he just kind of moved a piece along, you know? Whereas here, it seems like he knows that there's something completely off about this whole thing. These people can't really think for themselves in that regards. So I'm going to be the one to actually spearhead this thing. And I have a feeling that the only reason he did this is because given how the society worked, it would probably come up with the least amount of casualties. Because if you think about it, right... There's no real, you know, Return of the Jedi special edition, like where stormtroopers are being fucking chucked off buildings sequence. All the guards are being disarmed. The only person that gets chucked off a building is Hade. The one thing I would say is I don't think that's a guarantee. Hmm. Um, And this isn't showing the episode, just my sort of read of it is... The Doctor really has no idea how these people are going to behave once that stuff is no longer being pumped into the atmosphere. Yeah, like, that, that's why... He, I, he's banking on it being a peaceful yeah. transition. Like but there the, is no guarantee that that's the way it's going yeah. to be. Like, the ending sits a small bit weird as well in that regards. Uh, might save that for, like, the overall. But, like... As you say, like how like how are they going to react when they come off this stuff? Like, like for all we know, they could end up being like the Ravagers from Firefly. You know, <laughs> they just go completely fucking apeshit and start strapping people to vehicles. Yeah. Also, the Doctor again. This, this is sort of going back to my whole thing of like again, like the scene with Hade is really funny and mm. it's played really well by Tom. But the Doctor really has no clue how the society even fucking works. No. Or at this at the time where he gets involved, he has no idea who the collector is, where the collector is from, the fact that the collector isn't even human. Like mm. he doesn't know any of that. So yeah. if if what you're saying is true, and I can see it being true, 
that the doctor was like, you know, this could be a relatively peaceful mm. transition. Uh, relatively, it, it's a huge, it's a huge gamble on his part to it's assume it. It's a fucking massive gamble that early in the game with that little information that he had. Yeah, and I guess and, it's, and as well, like it's we're told that Pluto has multiple cities. It's not huge, like one all-encompassing city on the on the then planet now whatever it's called <laughs> it's like a, it's a series of mega cities yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know if anyone would have picked up on it but I think I referred to Pluto as a planet only once in the, in the entire summary I just kept calling it Pluto <laughs> poor Pluto yeah. Uh, yeah but like so yeah it's it not overtly bad but mm. there's nothing there that kind of goes this is a defining Doctor moment you know yeah I mean as I said there's lots of fun pieces to it mm-hmm. but there's no like oh my god like I have to watch that scene again or whatever yeah so the companions cool yeah. so we've got Leela K9 and Cordo-ish Cordo-ish yes yeah. so let's start with Leela as is our want so I think, again, good show by Leela here. Very much her driving the plot and being the lead in her own story. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, she needs to be rescued by the Doctor later, but really she was the hero here. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Leela is the one who you know, was standing up to like Mandrill and all those up being like, if the Doctor's late coming back, we have to go after him, we have to go and look for him. Really pretty up with no one's shit. Mm. Do you know? And you can kind of see that, like, when she's captured, after she's seen the collector, like, the doctor was sort of left to lie on a slab and was given free reign to move about the room. Similar with um, Bisham. Mm-hmm. He was just lying on a slab. Leela had to be attached to a wall. Yeah. <laughs> to keep her still. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> go on, like, fucking fuck them up. <laughs> like, do your, do your best. Um, which I loved. Um. You mentioned the fact that we get to see some real concern from the doctor for Leela here. Like he gets very angry at the thought mm. that like they could have killed her because he was laid back. I will say though, I'm I'm and I'm saying this in Leela's part just because I think you know we often look at companions in isolation, and mm-hmm. often when we're doing comparisons to other companions, it's like, oh, how would the other companion have behaved in this, or oh, this would have been better as a Joe story, or this would have been better as a Liz story, or whatever. What I like here is the doctor has a line which is a comes across as slightly sexist, but also is nice that he sees Leela the same as he saw Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. you know, the same as he saw Joe and Liz and whatever. Which is why do these cur- girls keep wandering off? <laughs> <laughs> and I say it's slightly sexist, like why do these girls? It's even like why do these girls keep wandering off, or why do these girls? not listen to me it's yeah. something why do these girls anyways the important part and on the one hand i'm like dude that's incredibly fucking sexist but on the other hand it's nice that leela is seen in the show as being just as good as everybody else now we've talked about how she's often portrayed as the savage and even here there was multiple instances of the doctor telling her not to use her knife and not to do this and not to do that but he doesn't. That doesn't make him see her as any lesser, mm-hmm. do you know? And it shouldn't make the audience see her as any lesser either. She is just as much a companion, just as much a lovable character as Sarah Jane was, as Liz was, as Joe was, mm. which I liked. 
Um, yeah. I think you know everything else in the story. It's kind of Leela doing. <laughs> it's Leela doing her own shit. Like Leela gives no fucks. She doesn't care what fucking society she's in. Give her a weapon of any fucking type, and she's like, "Okay, bitches, let's go get work done." Yeah, which is brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think of like a low point for Leela in the story. Like I said, I think the closest would be the fact that yeah, she does have to be rescued by the doctor later. I would have liked to have seen her struggling more against the restraints when she was going into the um condenser or whatever or the condensation thing whatever i would have liked to have seen her struggling more there but at the same time we've seen her struggling for three episodes so yeah and as well like we have no idea we have no idea as well like what the physical toll on that suspension Mm. torture was on her as well like yeah because if you if you think back to it she was basically stood on a little ledge that her feet wouldn't fit on fully Mm-hmm. So her toes were hanging over the edge, and she had a cable attached to the back of her jacket, back of her straight jacket, yeah, and the wall, which mm-hmm. kind of led to her to be sort of like leaning forward perpetually, and like mm-hmm. yeah, you had the wall taking some of the strength there, but like, like to your point, that would have been really, really draining on yeah. her. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a good show by Leila. Um, again, nothing really jumped out at me as like memorable to a fault um but you know we've said before not every episode has to be memorable to a fault mm-hmm. for our companions but uh what about you um so overall i think this is actually a pretty strong showing for Leela because if you think about it she successfully breaks into a prison mm-hmm. successfully breaks out of the prison but then gets mm-hmm. you know clipped in the head so i think i don't really consider that to be part of the whole prison breaking out of section <laughs> so that that uh, an addendum uh, a quota onto that so she does those two things um i think um her interactions with the other characters are really great um like the sequence with the under or the undercity dwellers it's the most dynasty warriors type thing i've ever seen from lena which is like you know yes she's sort of by 20 25 other guys She's probably going to wreck about like 20 of them before they get on top of her. Um, but I liked when she was looking for volunteers. Cordo, who is the only recently like woken up type person uh, in this equation, is the one of the volunteers. She actually makes, she appreciates that. And like, she yeah. just says that you're the bravest one here. Um, her skills and stuff, you know, are great. Her defiance is brilliant. There was one thing that I thought they did it really, really well. Was it's Leela experiencing the artificial, um, being exposed to an artificial stimulant? Because as she's going out the tunnels, she goes, "I suddenly feel afraid. What's going on?" And K nine says, "It's the PCM in the air." It's like she's being given an artificial sense of fear, which mm-hmm. is fucking with her own innate danger sense, and it's so brief. But I actually enjoyed her getting thrown. Like I enjoyed that sequence where she's thrown by it, and I think it would have been a nice little kind of experiment to have her go on like that before it was explained to her that it's an artificial stimulant. It's a really good uh, point that you brought up about that scene because I actually really like that as well. Because I thought the K nine is like it's just something in the air. And she's like, oh, so it's not real. He's like, no. He's like, she's like, okay, cool. What I would have liked to have seen though with that is her disregarding her real sense thinking it was the fake sense yeah so her walking into a trap or walking into a situation and being like i should have listened 
to myself, like her like being unable to distinguish between what she knows is fake mm-hmm. and her own intuition, which is really good. It's yeah. like, is this intuition or is it fake? Yeah. I think that would have been interesting. You did also remind me that there wasn't a scene of Leela's that was hilariously funny, which is when she's in the corridor with Bisham and Cordo mm-hmm. and K9 and they jump in like the buggy thing. Mm-hmm. And, and she jumps in the driver's seat and she's like forward and she presses up the accelerator <laughs> and the thing goes backwards and she's like, I don't get it. I said forward. Yeah. I didn't really have to exp- ex- like explain that thing. Like, So I said armored car. It's essentially a two-seater buggy with a cannon strapped to the top of it. Yeah. Also, those guards are the fucking dumbest because in the sequence, one guard gets out and it says, lower your weapons. And Leela does so and then tells K9 to bite, which I think is like the cutest thing ever. Yeah. So that guard goes down. Then the second guard go like in like some sort of video game logic that he, he's just out of my eye line. He's like, wait a minute, he fell down for some reason. I'm going to go investigate. He also gets stunned. I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> That's like the most Metal Gear Solid thing I've ever seen. But um, no, like I think, I think this is probably like, you know, like compared to last week. I think it's a stronger showing. Well, I would agree. Um, I, I wouldn't put it in her top three. No, Jesus, no, no. Like it's but like, like it's I, the upper half of good. I I think her like we we the ranking for her top three is going to be tough. Hmm. It it really is. Um. But actually, you kind of made a point there about like other companions. And one thing that I think we haven't mentioned as of yet for Louise is that mm-hmm. she's done a really great job following, like, up in, I suppose, now, like, the nation's sweetheart in terms of Liz as Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. She's done a yeah. really good job of, like, following on from that character. Yeah, like I said, I'm, like, I think I mentioned this before, I'm fucking gutted that, like, yeah, what, like, 13 years ago, I went to a convention in the UK as my first Doctor Who convention. It was in this like little shithole of a school in Barking and Louise was there and I didn't meet her. I have a picture, a really shitty picture of her on stage during her panel, but I didn't meet her because I hadn't watched any of Leela's stuff at that point. And like Nicholas Courtney was there and um, John Levine was there. And Tom Baker was there, so I met those three, um, all of whom I, I, I knew and admired at that point. But I feel kind of shit that I missed out on Louise Jameson. Um, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for her at, at future conventions because mm. I would love, she's someone I would love to, to chat to. Yeah. So, the best dog in the world. <laughs> yeah. I think every episode for K9 is going to start with, who's a good boy? Mm. <laughs> um, I feel kind of bad for K9. Um mm. In this one, because the doctor basically says that he's Leela's dog, mm-hmm. which is like, no, like he was given to you. Um, he doesn't let him out for walkies, mm-hmm. which is naughty. Bold. Um, but what I like about K nine here is I love the way K nine interacts with Leela. Mm-hmm. I am loving the Leela and K nine dynamic because I know a little bit of future state around iterations of K9 and stuff like that but I'm used to K9 with Sarah Jane mm-hmm. um, predominantly in K9 and Company and then in the Sarah Jane adventures so to see K9 be a character with a different companion is really interesting to see and their relationship is very good um, 
you know, like, you know, when she says bite, for example, and he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but this is the sort of thing that you can sort of imagine him then storing in his information bank to be like, next time someone says bite, they mean shoot them with the blaster. Cool. Got it. I can, I can remember that later. Um, but also the fact that, like, he sort of, he wants praise. Do you know? And he's like, I did the thing, Leela. He's like, yeah, what, do you want a biscuit? And he's like, oh. <laughs> yes? <laughs> Can I have a biscuit? <laughs> I was like, you don't need a biscuit. You're a, you're a robot dog. Um, but still, I think K9 more than proves his worth in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bob did a good job of including him. I think he does kind of disappear at some point, at one point. Do you know, like, he's protecting, fecking, um The control hub. The, the control guy. Um, for like the remainder of episode four or whatever, but I think overall, I think it's a good way to include K nine. I think the story is a good example of how K nine can be useful mm-hmm. and how K nine and Leela work really well as a duo, which yeah, we, we saw in the Invisible Enemy. And I'm glad to see that Bob continued the two of them working really well together, and Leela knowing how best to utilize him, which is great. Yeah. How about you? Um. Not only is he a very good boy, he's also a very brave boy. Because he volunteers himself to go into that vent. And he says, like, you know, my structural build might be able to withstand the pressure. Hmm. And it's like, because like they say, but you can't turn a valve. He goes, I could try blasting it. That might work. And it's like, there's no guarantee he'll survive and there's no guarantee of success. But he's still, yeah. he's still willing to do it. So I think that's hmm. great. Also, how did they actually do they layer John's voice in afterwards or no I think John's on set he's off the side it's the same way they do the Daleks okay perfect so if that's the case there is a fantastic synergy here between John's voice acting and the controller Mm of K9 because for some of the nice little character moments where he'll say something and his head will perk up or his head will Mm -hmm. perk down it actually, it feels like you're brought into the suspension of disbelief. Mm. Like you're, you're I actually... have to look it up, but I, I do believe that he was done in the same way that the Daleks were done. In the sense that you have one person controlling the Daleks. So in the case of the Daleks, there was someone in, in the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some person off the side with like uh, a deck, basically who's doing the voice mm-hmm. um so as far as i understand they were in the same room mm. because because um, like yeah. the, just a combination of those two things actually makes you feel like canine is an actual artificial dog as is a robot mm. dog um yeah. so like i really like that for this story i agree i agree um i did see there was a chat happening in the uh mission log uh, podcast discord hi guys um, we have a channel <laughs> hello everyone um we have a channel about doctor who there and uh i think it was earl was actually talking about the australian canine program mm-hmm. and i'm like i've never seen it i don't know if i want to i can't i'm kind of curious now like it'll be interesting like, once we get through canine's story arc yeah um I am kind of. I do wonder if I'll go watch it. It might, it might be something that we do. Um, maybe when we get to New Who, we might do yeah. it as like a, a a rambling, maybe. Maybe yeah. Um, it's not really a Doctor Who spinoff. 
No, because it's... Canine. Yeah, because... Completely it, it, new, rewritten thing with just the canine character, so... Yeah, and like, it's even a new design for K9, which I'm not overly fond of. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't I don't like the design. The yeah. design's really bad. <laughs> but yeah, it was just because like they were talking about it on the Discord, and I was like, "Yeah, I never actually watched it." I'm like, I wonder now, like watching K9's story in order, does it become something that we do a rambling on or something like that? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> So then we have Cordo. Cordo's type of character I love to see on Doctor Who. Mm. Because he moves from strength to strength through his interactions with the Doctor, and more so in the story, I think, through his interactions with Leela. Mm. So he starts off as someone who knows exactly what's going on in terms of he knows how the taxes work, he knows what his role is in society, and He's he also knows enough to know that like he won't be able to pay back the extra taxes that are now due, and he knows that what's being said to him by Hade is ridiculous. Mm. He he knows that he's not fucking stupid, do you know. Um, and as much as like the citizens of Pluto are sort of subjugated and you know their minds are numbed through the use of the PCM, he's not stupid. Do you know, he doesn't just accept it like, yeah, I will give up sleep. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that he decides that the only way out of that is death to, well, yeah, to commit suicide. Um, but what I liked about him is that as soon as he meets the doctor and Leela, he starts looking at alternatives. And again, you know, he understood the way things work, but he was also like, my dad cleaned every floor in this city. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly where the underground rebels are. And he's never once given them up. Mm. Like, he's known where they were for years. Because his dad told him. But he's never given it up. So like, even before he became a rebel, he kind of was anyway. Mm. Which and Maybe it's just because I'm watching Andor at the moment and so I'm seeing things through this sort of <laughs> rebel... Uh, network lens of things. No, but like, um, it, it's it's not even that. It's like in the sense of, like, it doesn't take a huge lot of convincing from the Doctor and Leela to um, get him to see past the Matrix, as it were. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I love is that, like, through each interaction he has with them, he grows in strength and in courage and in confidence. And again, particularly, I think pairing him up with the Leela. Like mm. he started looking at Leela and kind of like, oh my god, she's so fucking amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. this is great. Um, so yeah, Cordo is like that prime example of not only a great story-based companion, you know, thinking along the lines of you know, companions that we saw in Primitive Mars, for example. Um, some of our other you know, really good story-based companions. Mm. But also a companion who grows throughout the four episodes. Yeah. Like, if we think back to Pyramids of Mars, which is, you know, probably one of our prime examples of this is a great story-based companion, this is a companion we'd love to see travel with the Doctor, that character who's... Why the fuck is his name left my mind? Uh, Lawrence. There. So, Lawrence, he... He doesn't really grow. No. In the four episodes, is the point I'm trying to make. Whereas Cordo does. Yeah. And you can totally see Cordo 
at the end of the story, running off on an adventure with the Doctor and Leela. I'd be yeah. completely earned. And in some ways, I kind of like Cordo better for that compared to Lawrence Scarman because he went through an evolution. Hmm. Like, Lawrence is just like a little puppy that you don't want to leave behind because he's a puppy and you're like, I can't leave the puppy behind by itself. Um, but I don't know. I, I really liked Cordo. This is my point. I've been hmm. rambling. But yeah. yeah. No, like, it's strange that you bring up like the dog analogy because like, in a story featuring a robot dog, like Cordo is the most puppy-like character in the whole fucking yes. story. Um, because like once he starts to fight against the company, he's like a kid that's just figuring out how to get into the cookie jar. Like he's all in. Like he well, like he's like what he's just like randomly firing his gun into the air. Like that's how like the rebellion is such like a happy thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, let, let's like smash the system. Like we're like um come on, let's all do it and all this uh type of thing. Um no, I agree, like Cordo is a great character. Like he's he's not one dimensional he's very he's an, like so a, every character in this is assigned a grade by like what mm. they can contribute to the thing and he's a d grade yeah. uh which is like second from the bottom i think is how the ranking system goes there um but like he's so much more capable than that you know mm. like he's he's a very intelligent character he's a very compassionate character as well like it, it almost feels like I'm watching like Doctor Who's version of Equilibrium. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, Great film. Great yeah, and re- I think it's a really, I think it's a really underappreciated film. Like you know. Yeah, it was one of those sort of people just look at it as the Matrix, like a cheap knockoff of the Matrix. Yeah. Like, oh, but it's so good. Yeah, well, it's, it's got a great cast. Like it's, it's it's just overlooked. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of Bale's best performances. Even though God help him, like he he does show emotion at times. <laughs> um, but cool. Moving on to the prominent character section. Yes, I would say like when you first sent me the list and had Gaudry on it, I was like, "What the fuck are we talking about Gaudry for? We might as well talk about Vel or whatever the hell her Vies. name was." Vies. Vies. Yes. Um. No. So I was going to address like. I think, with the exception of Mandro, mm-hmm. Gaudry and Veet and the rest of the rebels, as it were, the rest of the underlings, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, um, they kind of want to be like pirates, but they do it really badly. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, like, Veet is going on about how she wants Leela's clothes, um, so don't hurt her too badly because I want her clothes. Um, and Gaudry's very much one of those people of, like, you know, yeah, I'm like hardcore or whatever. You want me to do something that's dangerous and scary? No, no thanks. Um, which is where Mandrill really steps uh, in as a leader okay. of the I, random rebel. I gotta say this now, and it might change your perception. Mandrill and the rest of them, they're the people's front of Judea. <laughs> <sighs> They are, but yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> like, and oh. they, they really are. Like, they, they, like spoiler, like, I just, you know, okay. There's a, for me, this is Doctor Who's version of the life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. The Judean people's front. Yeah, fuck off. We're the people's front of Judea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look. I'll do Mandrill first since we're talking about the Judean people. Um, yeah. I think initially I 
bucketed mandrel with Gaudrian beating the rest of them. Hmm. You know, this whole thing of like, oh, I pretend I'm really hardcore. Oh, I'm going to set this like arbitrary fucking deadline <laughs> for when the doctor has to be back and whatever. But like, Leela kind of calls him on his bullshit as like, or no, it's the doctor calls him on his bullshit. Like, go on. Go on. He's like, you have to the count of 10. And he's like, one. And I was like, two. Yeah. That's the number. Like, come on. You know, whatever. Um, so very much someone who plays the part. But I think what differences Mandrill from the rest of them is that, like, we see later on in the story, Gaudry and Veet are still like, yeah, this is, like, super fun. We're having a rebellion when they do finally mm. go in for it or whatever. Um, Veet is kind of creepy, but, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah they're super fun. Let's have a rebellion. Mandrill, though, again, he's not fucking stupid. He used to be really high up. Um, in terms of, like, I think it was a B grade he said he that he was. was. He was a B grade, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, like, he knows how things work. Which may be why he was hesitant to ever do anything about it before. But when he's shown, like, expressly shown, this is what we're doing, this is how we would do it, and whatever, he's like, okay, let me do the maths. Okay, that could actually work. Like, up until now, I imagine all of the things that people said to him, like, oh, we can, we'll steal some guns and we'll do this. And he's like, oh, fuck it. None of that would work anyway. Yeah. Fuck off. Like, do you know what I mean? And I can kind of imagine that he maybe became a bit dissociated or dispassionate about it over time. Mm-hmm. At which point he's like, look, we just, we live under here and we'll live here till we die. Mm-hmm. Um, But again, I like the fact that Mandrill, through his interactions with the Doctor, he refines hope in their situation and he never loses his head about how to get the, like, the fact like when Cordo fucking <laughs> comes in and is like yeah we fucking won and he's like you fucking Egypt what are you on about <laughs> like, so he he still keeps his head yeah but he has grown from being the leader of the Judy and people's front into being a leader of people no it's the people's front of Judy <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame you were Fuck it. <laughs> That's what I call it now. Um, but yeah. Um, that, that's what I like about Mandrill, though. So he does, again, he evolves, which is great. I think this is really a, an episode or a story where we see a lot of characters evolve. Um, how about you? What are your thoughts on Mandrill and the. Uh, <laughs> the front of Judy? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like, he just, like. He does come across like Reg from, uh, which is John Cleese's character from the uh, the people's front of Judea, in the sense of like he's just like a very talkative person and very little action to back it up. Um, mm-hmm. I did like though that he there's a huge turnaround in him that, as you said, once they're like you know no, no this is how we'll do it and this is how we'll think within his own wheelhouse, he's actually a very capable leader. He really is. Yeah. He was like going no like it's like. He goes, well, you can do it from the control hub, which controls every pump in the city. And then it was like, once we're in there, he goes like, nope, that won't work because of this override system. That won't work because it has to be done this way, where we can do it this way, but it has to be. So you can tell why he was a B grade. Mm. Um, but like, there is like, <laughs> it is a game of two halves with him because for the first half of it, it's like just like the whole big like loud shouty voice i'm the the one that's carrying the whip type thing mm. but then afterwards it's like no oh, no i can actually see him being 
that is onto like the whole fight for like wait how does our economy work now <laughs> uh, up until then I think they're golden once that starts god help them <laughs> so the other sort of high grade actually he was executive level that we have is bishop yeah um bishop is bishop's just a nice guy hmm. <laughs> you know he's really nice um and the fact that like what got him in trouble is his curiosity mm-hmm. which again i think kind of lends credence to the fact that like this pcm stuff yeah it does like dull them to what's happening but it doesn't make them stupid no do you know and he's like well i saw this stuff and i was like hmm, what's that and i was curious and that's what got him in trouble um you do see like this the sort of look of disappointment on his face when the doctor gets freed and he's mm. left behind um and sort of he's like oh like either maybe the doctor was a plant or something like that and you can tell that he's sort of he's not happy with the doctor either that the doctor is being rescued then when the doctor leaves him a bag of jelly babies he's like no okay what we had was it was real. What we had was real. <laughs> you know, like he's not betraying me. Well, to be fair, dick move for throwing him a closed bag while the guy is in a straitjacket. <laughs> it was a crumpled bag. He kind of knows it's open. <laughs> um, but Bishop again is like this character is like you know when Leela's like, "Well, do you want to come with us? You're more than welcome." Um, I do love the fact that like again that scene with Leela where Leela tries to drive the the buggy thing mm. he's like maybe i should drive he's like fine but i'm getting the gun do you know like yeah. <laughs> you know, he's he's a little bit condescending but like he's not wrong either leela has never driven a car before <laughs> do you know um i think like for the rest of it bisham is he's just an all-around good egg really yeah he's kind of the harry sullivan of this story in a way mm-hmm. um i don't have anything bad to say about it. He doesn't he doesn't really grow as much as the other characters do. Do you know he would no. like he would his eyes were opened before he got involved with the doctor. Yeah. The doctor and Leela just sort of gave him a way to work on the information that he had and to actually affect change because of yeah. it. No like um you know I completely agree because again like another slightly Monty Python archetype, he's like the Michael Palin straight character. Um mm. like who like who sometimes comes across as a bit silly in how mm like direct there um i think he out of all of the supporting characters like so out of the trio of uh himself mandrill and cordo he is probably as you said the most attuned as to what's going on because he is an executive but he does have the rebellious leanings well like which is why like it's i took the things that were meant to be only for the high-grade executives and he seems to be very on board with the whole like turning things over so like he seems to be like the best of both worlds in the sense of he's still part of the system, but he's against the system. Yeah, what I like about it is that he doesn't look down on Cordo or Mandra or the others. No. It would be very easy for him to be like, well, I'm against whatever, but you're just a D-grade. Mm. So, you know. Um, yeah. But there's no classism in him mm-hmm. because of that. You know, the closest he comes to it is when he's like, Lily, you can't fucking drive. <laughs> which, which wasn't a lie. <laughs> Do you know? Um, yeah, I think overall, mm. nice guy. Mm. 
uh, before we move on, like when I said when you said about the Karl Marx thing, and uh, because I've made like a couple of Monty Python references here, what was going through my head was it's a sketch called World Forum, which is like uh, Chairman Mao, Lenin, Che Guevara, and Karl Marx are all like on this quiz show where they're asked questions about like sport <laughs> and like Karl Marx is like to, he's there like you're know, going for like the lounge suite and he's like going like what's a uh, a struggle of class against class he goes oh it's a, p- a political struggle and it's like what's the final this is the last question who won the FA Cup in 1965 and he just goes through his entire manifesto and it's just like no <laughs> uh, but on to the, the actual villains <laughs> and not yeah. just and not just bullshit sports questions in a quiz um so we have uh, Hade, Marm, Marn, sorry, and The Collector. So will we do Marn, Hade, and The Collector? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Um, there was one thing in this story that disappointed me, and that was Marn. Because I was waiting for the reveal that she was secretly working with the rebels. Like, yeah. There's, literally like... everything she does, every look she gets, I'm like, oh, she's secretly with the rebels. And like, yeah, we get the fact that like when they catch her, she's like, "I want to join the resistance" or whatever. Mm. But like, I was like, "No!" Nah, like she had to have been working with them the whole time. Like, like come is, on! Like, is this like just bad camera work, or like the direct, or like it was like the direction was okay? Okay, like when he says that line, "I want you to look pensive," and then all of a sudden it's like, "So you mean suspicious?" No, I don't mean that because the camera's <laughs> yeah, like. She's constantly looking like she's like, shit, he's going to do this thing now. Fuck. That's going to, like, you know, they'll get captured or whatever. It's like, I I don't know. Like, again, I don't know if it was bad acting or it was bad direction. I didn't see anything in, like, the notes that, like, she was meant to be, you know, a turncoat or whatever. But I was like, literally throughout the entire story, I was like, Marin's going to do something now. Marin's going to turn something off or she's going to do whatever. Like, Marin knew the fact that the thing was on a loop, you know, surely it's God or whatever. I'm like, no. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I actually, I just put it down to like bad camera work and direction. <laughs> Cause the cameras linger on her way too fucking long for it not to be suspicious behavior. Yeah. Either that or like she wants Hayde's job and the camera just didn't do its yeah. job in getting that point across. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think my biggest thing with marriage is I was disappointed. <laughs> I, <laughs> because I was expecting it to be something she wasn't yeah no I, I had the exact same thoughts I was like kind of going where's the reveal <laughs> I was expecting an earth shattering reveal <laughs> uh, um, I did like her pairing with Hade though I thought they were yeah very... I thought that worked really well but I would have liked to have like you always want Marn to sort of release some like to like when they're face like say when they're having the final face off against the collector you almost want Marn to be like to press a series of buttons or something and for him to be like what the hell is that she's like you know I've been watching him for years or I've been trying to get close to, I've been trying to get into this room for years mm. but I couldn't because Hade was always blocking me do you know I'm like where's her devious moment again I'm watching too much Andor I want everyone yeah. to be a rebel there's like there's two I, I think it's a case of dastardly and motley you know yeah um yeah. Uh, nothing else really to say about Marn. No. How about you? No, I, I pretty much said everything I just got to say yeah. there. I, d- I just did like the pairing. It was like yeah. an inverse Doctor and Leela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then we have Hayd, who I find absolutely fucking hilarious. So... He, he is my favourite character in this whole story. He is, like, legitimately my favourite character. So, Hayd is one of these people who clearly loves his job. Hmm. And is quite good at it, usually, when the doctor <laughs> Taxes. Wonderful, beautiful taxes. <laughs> ah. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of expect him to go swimming in, like, in a sort of DuckTales opening scene type yeah. thing. Um, but the fact that like, he enjoys the benefits that come with his position. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that, like, he, like, you know, the collector is the collector. Hayde is the gatherer, or whatever the fuck he's called. Um, but it's interesting that he has people come to him directly to pay the death tax. Mm. It's like, do you have nothing better to be doing than to be chatting away with people? And like the fact that like he doesn't even like he doesn't get angry. You know, he doesn't. It's not like you know what do you mean you don't have a blah blah blah. It's like mm. okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna work out a payment plan, and in order for this to work, you're gonna have to basically not sleep. Ever. Yes. So that's okay. Because I can make sure that you're put on this. And like, you're, when he's like, you know, oh, I'll speak to your supervisor. You're thinking, like, oh, is he going from up to C grade then? I'll speak to your supervisor put you on another shift. <laughs> and it's like, like, the way he says it, it's like, he genuinely thinks he's helping. Yeah. Do you know? Um, and his interactions with the collector, like I said it in the trivia, but like, I noticed it myself for the story that he starts off with like, your eminence, your excellence, whatever. And at the end, he's just like, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> but he says it all in the same tone. Yeah. And the collector never responds any differently. So like he could call him whatever the hell he wants, but he does it in this same forced, pleasant Oh, it's five thousand of my own hmm. Talmars. Okay, that's a great idea. That's it's it, it's like a that's riff brilliant. It's like a riff on that thing of where, like, you know, the guy is a servant who doesn't speak English and just continually insults their boss, and he's like, ah, oh, thank you for that wonderful compliment, you know? Yeah, um, I, I just think Hayde is hilariously funny he, in he, a way that actually works. Because the character can you, it'd be very easy to get it wrong, hmm. um, and for it to come across as annoying, but I think the way the actor plays it, like... It works honest, really well. I, th- I think, honestly, right, he's dressed like a pharaoh. I don't think that's the actual cost uniform of a collector, or sorry, a gatherer. I think he wore that just because he's got, like, so he's, like, this obsession with old dirt. Like, he's, like, I have a table made of mahogany, you know, like, mahogany table. <laughs> I was tempted to message you. Yeah. Like, it's I, mahogany. Shut up, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking knew that would come up. Um... <laughs> Or his uh, the whole thing with you know eating like uh, was eating raspberry leaves, not yeah. raspberries, just raspberry leaves. Um, I was just like, like that. That's clearly a costume. It's not actually a uniform. You're just wearing that because you think it looks cool. Um, because no one else dresses like that. No, they don't. Everyone dresses fairly kinda normal. Kind of normal, yeah. <laughs> Even uh, the collector isn't that over the top. He's just wearing a grey suit. <laughs> like some sort of fucking demented Professor X, <laughs> um, but yeah, like he has the thesaurus um, with all the things. Again, very life of Brian. His ending, 
like he's up on the rooftop telling people to get off the roof or they'll be subjected to all these taxes, at which point he's picked up, still telling them about the taxes that they'll be suspect of as he's fucking chucked off into oblivion. It's right up there with the hole, you know, no one has to blow the, the stone anyone until I blow this whistle, even if they do say Jehovah. Oh, yeah. He's my favorite character in the story. He's... I think he's certainly the funnest character in the story. Yeah. The, oh, absolutely. And then, and then we... lastly, we have the collector. Mm. Who, who I'm like, did you walk in or wheel into the wrong story, my dude? Because, like, the collector is such a weird character. And I think having him be humanoid, I understand that, like, the reveal at the end that he's not actually human. Mm-hmm. it's kind of cool but like he doesn't act fucking human either <laughs> Do you know I mean? he looks human mm-hmm. if you can excuse like the green tinge um, but he doesn't like the way he reads his like notes is like his nose is touching the fucking table mm. I'm like what are you doing sniffing the numbers <laughs> like what the hell um, I think the collect. I actually think the collector was the weakest part of this mm. in my opinion he's, i think he was a little bit too over the top he's too ridiculous to take seriously yeah and like the fact that like, he says like it's all business and it's all about profit but then he loves hearing the screams of the dying or whatever and i'm like i thought you're all about business and profit mm. like Either you're this megalomaniac who likes watching people die, or you're someone who doesn't give a shit about how they die. You just want them dead so that you can make more money. And I was like, I don't really get it. And I also think his death at the end was very anticlimactic. Yeah, because the, the, the compartment they trapped him in, it looks like a, an incontinence chair. Yes. Like it has a drain in it, and they just put a stopper in it. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, he's trapped in the chair. But also, like, the whole idea that he got smaller because there was a tax on being big or something. Like, the way the doctor explains it, it just sounds fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I don't don't really understand how it was that he was defeated. (laughs) It won't be the fucking first strange ending (laughs) that we've experienced or the last one. We've got some real doozies coming up. Uh, For me... The only thing that I have really on the notes of the collector is like he's a cross between Mr. Burns, Scrooge McDuck, and Plankton from Sp- SpongeBob. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, just like, oh. Like, I remember the very first time I watched this was years ago. And just thinking, like, this, he's such a fucking weird character. I don't get it. Still don't really get it, but now that I understand that it's like Bob's Holmes is you know all his you know fucking middle fingers up, or like he just basically flipping you know the inverted V's to the tax man. I get the impression that he was listening to the King song in the summertime repeatedly <laughs> as he was writing this. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, which is a great song by a great band. <laughs> Okay, anything else we have to say about our villains, about the people's front of Judea, and about our companions or the Doctor? 
No. <laughs> so, we come to the overall section. And as always, we will be giving our last final thoughts and we will give the score a story a score of five each. So as is tradition, Trish, you will be going first. Cool. So this story is interesting in that there were some bits that I really enjoyed. Hage was fucking hilarious. I think Cordo was a great story based companion with great development. I loved Leland K9. The Doctor had some hilarious scenes. And there wasn't really anything overly negative about it. However, the Collector, I think, belonged in a completely fucking different story altogether. Hmm. Um, And I didn't really understand the ending. Didn't really get it. And to be honest, like... (laughs) Like I said, Barry Letts, during Barry Letts' run as producer, there was a lot of what we'd call bonk, bonk on the head stories, right? Mm-hmm. This one kicks all of those completely out of the fucking ballpark. Like, Bob, we fucking get it, like. <laughs> <laughs> but in what reality? And like, I love that they throw in PCM as the way to fucking explain it, because the only way you can explain the fact that any society would develop to the point where you're living to pay your taxes to, to the level that it is here. I get that it's meant to be an analogy. It's meant to like hold a mirror up to the UK tax system or whatever. I get that. But like, Bob, you've made it so fucking unbelievable. But also the story is called the Sunmakers. What's the one thing we don't see in the entire story? The, yeah. They, they make the such, fucking sun. They make such a big deal out of that. And I remember at the time thinking that, the next story, which is called Underworld, hmm. I feel like the story name should have been swapped. Plus, I haven't watched next week's story yet, so but certainly just based on title, yeah. because I mean they say that like you know the collectors people built around Pluto six suns, so that each of them megapolises, megapolises, Meg- Meg- yeah, each of the cities. Um, <laughs> Has its own sun, so it's never nighttime. Mm-hmm. But the only people who are allowed to go out in the sun are the top level executives and whatever. Now, I know that they're filming in the UK, <laughs> but we never see the fucking sun. We see people outside, yes, at the top of basically corporate buildings, which is probably the top of like BBC Television Centre or something. Mm. Um, but that's it. I'm like, could we not have had a picture on a wall somewhere that just showed Pluto with six suns around it? Just a piece of art. Um, because it doesn't really make sense for the sun makers to be the focus mm. in terms of the title because we only ever see people outside on a few occasions. It's never fucking sunny outside. It's daytime. yeah. But there's literally fucking cloud in every fucking direction. Then we find out that like in the tunnel, like in the underworld, under, in the undercity, there is no light. But the Cordo didn't even know what the fuck the dark was. Hmm. I'm like, do you not turn off the electric lights that you're fucking? Because the Cordo's never seen the sun before that day. It was, he's just seen light. And I get the fact that they sort of say that, like, 
those sconces on the wall that they're not electric light that they're taking the light from the sun and like bouncing it and whatever i'm like yeah your whole like sun and darkness thing was really badly developed in favor of taxes taxes (laughs) all of the taxes (laughs) like okay the taxes bit was interesting bob but build the rest of your world, please. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me a cruel chuckle. <laughs> yeah, so for me, I think it was a case of, like, the collector I didn't really like as a villain. I thought the ending didn't really make fucking sense. Some of our supporting cast were fucking brilliant. Our supporting characters were great. But I think the story itself, it was too much on the fucking taxes, do you know? And not enough on how this world was built. And even the classism between the grades wasn't focused on as much as I maybe would have wanted. Mm. So for me, I gave it a three because it has some really fun stuff in it. Um, But I think it focused way too fucking much on giving a middle finger to like the UK government Mm -hmm. as opposed to focusing on the three or four other things that it had that are really like the class system and how those classes interact. Really interesting actually looking into the whole sun maker part of it really interesting like maybe the collector at the end could be like well i'm gonna blow up the suns because i fucking made them mm-hmm. so i can get rid of them like something like oh no they'll eventually die out like there's no fucking urgency there love like it's just sort of like there are six suns they will eventually <laughs> die and at which point there's still only be one <laughs> Yeah, so for me, like, it's not terrible. Do you know, I don't think it's as bad as last week. No. Um, but, eh, it's kind of middling. Do you know? So I gave it a three. How about you? Uh, you were saying, like, you know, like the, was it? the suns will eventually die out. It's like in Deadpool. Like, you know, you're you going to die by Zamboni. <laughs> it's like, you're going to die in like seven or eight minutes. <laughs> um, uh, so this is a really weird one, okay? Hmm. But I I really liked it because it's like a weird mishmash of like Hitchhiker's Guide with the kind of the whole bureaucracy type thing and just Monty Python. It's like, Mm. this is probably the most satirical Doctor Who has been. I didn't didn't say it in the the trivia, but I do remember that you've mentioned Hitchhikers that Douglas Adams did sort of say like, Bob and I talked about a story before. This sounds kind of similar. Yeah. Like they're, 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 I actually, I I was very surprised when I saw that this was written by Bob Holmes. I thought this was Douglas Adams. Mm. Um, as I think Hayden is probably my favorite character in, in this whole thing. He's just so ridiculous. It, it's amazing. Um, and the actor gives it socks the whole mm. time. Like he never folds in this performance at all. Like he eats as much scenery as he possibly can. Mm. <laughs> um, like the collector is is, is really a non entity here, right? Mm. As is most of the plot. <laughs> it's <laughs> taxes. I, yeah, taxes. <laughs> it's like I just really like the characters. This is this is this is a story that I watch for the character moments. Like mm. I love Cor- like your know, Cordo, really really good moments. Leela, like I, I think it's a good showing for her. It, it won't crack the mm. top three. It won't. No. But it's definitely not in our bottom performances. No. Um, we have two more to go, so we'll see what uh, what is ending up there. Um, then, like, you know, the 
the doctor, as we said, like, the, the, like there's nothing really bad in this mm. to say, like, this is terrible. It's just like the, the plot is so fucking stupid. <laughs> but I think that's why I love the story because it, it actually it does feel like it's saying this is a stupid story because I don't like the tax system in this country. Um, so, like, I've gotten a bit higher than you. I've got like a three point five uh, okay. because this isn't one of those stories I'm going to like. You know, I got I ha- I have the DVD. I'm going to rush out to watch it. You know, hmm. but in the event of I don't know, I was at home and like, or it just came on the television. I don't think I'd turn it off. I think I'd actually just sit down and have a laugh, you know? This is one of those ones where I was watching it going, what would my mum say to this story? Oh, my God. <laughs> She'd probably start talking about haughty. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about how didn't have a bank account. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Irish politicians, people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. But yeah, still, like I think you know, <laughs> we as a nation are living far beyond our means. Says says the fucker who lives on a yacht and the fucking French Riviera. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, I think for this story, I think you know, three three point five. I think makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it will just depend on how much you want to give over to the utter nonsense. Oh, yeah, and no, the I, serious like, package of plot. Yeah, like, seriously, this is one of those stories. Like, this is a fucking dumb story, but it is so funny. It's just like that. That's the best thing to take away from this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it the dumbest story we've had? No. No, it's it's not. That goes to fucking stupid fucking gunfighters. <laughs> but gunfighters was dumb and not fun. But see, I think it points the gunfighters is trying to take itself seriously. I don't think this is trying to take itself seriously at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, so yeah. So but yeah, we have two more to go this season. So just to mm-hmm. give you uh, an idea of what we're running at, so your average for this season so far is a three point one three, and my average is a three point two five. So you're a fair bit below your season fourteen average. Your season fourteen average was a four point one seven. I cannot see you climbing back up to, <laughs> to that. I I really don't because this is why I'm also interested to from this point in the podcast onwards because for me after horror fang rock starts the slow decline of the the decline of the quality of the series for for me at the Mm. time now uh, as we've seen multiple times throughout the run of this uh, podcast I've read I've actually redressed my opinions of certain stories and they've actually mm. gone up. Mm. So I'm possibly that might happen again, you know? Mm. So I, I'm hoping that it happens again. I would actually be like to be pleasantly surprised by a rewatch. <laughs> As is here. I The first time I watched this, I was like, going, what the fuck am I watching? But now that I realize that it's a complete satire, it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is a really good story. <laughs> Did your score change today? Or was it 3.5 from, from the go? Uh, it was a slight bit lower. It was it was three, but then you brought up some really interesting points about the actual characters like Cordo and Bisham, uh, and I was like, actually, yeah, that's some stuff that I, I, th- I think I was kind of overlooking just by the sheer hilarity of the story. Like I wasn't actually, I I missed some of the good character moments that I like I normally look out for, you know. Hmm. Um, like 
as if I like if we were to do something based off my initial watching of this ages ago, like you know, I, this would have been like a fucking I don't care about the story. Now, as I said, like it's yeah, it, it's in. It'll be like at some point in time, it's going to be in the rotation. <laughs> well, it is your second highest of this season. Yeah. Although, look at the other two. I don't know if that's saying a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But listen, we have two more to go. So mm-hmm. next week we have Underworld. Mm-hmm. So I shall talk to you then. Well, yes. I'll talk to you before then. But we'll talk to the rest of you. Yes. Next week. <laughs> that's 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 how this works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to him on the regular. Yes. <laughs> Until then, though. Bye. Bye.